Thanks, H. That's awesome. Um, a lot of you guys as well were here over the last um, last couple of nights at Tehila down in the tent. Um, put your hand up if you if you got down. Who got down for a bit? That's awesome, man. It was massive success. It was so good. Um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of guys from Rivers put it all together, made it work, which is really awesome. Um, big massive thank you, particularly to Kate, who's here somewhere, or she might have stepped out. For she put in stacks of work, but stacks of guys here put in stacks of work, which is awesome. And if you didn't make it, there is just so many good stories of what happened. Even just like H was sharing then about answers to prayer, like Steve Jennings has some awesome stories of that happening down at Lillybrook. So feel free to chat to him later on and. Um, it was just it was just awesome. It was an awesome weekend um, and a great way to really focus on Jesus over Easter. Um, so we're going to have a look at, at this, this passage, the last chapter actually in Matthew about Jesus rising from the dead. And this is the last in this sort of three-part series we've been doing. It's this idea of Jesus as king, that he's come, he was crowned on the cross, and then he has the victory. But I don't know if you can think of a time maybe in your life when you were really disappointed, like maybe you had really high hopes about something, like you were super excited about something, you were really pumped about it, you thought this is going to be awesome, this is, this is the best thing ever, and then it was a letdown. It, it was a disappointment. You, you had this, this, this excitement, you're looking forward to it. I don't, know who, I don't know what it could be. If I was a kid, it would be like so excited about going to Dreamworld, but then it rained and I couldn't go on the ride I wanted to go. That would be like when I was a kid or something like that. But maybe it's something bigger. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe, maybe it's all different things. A deep sense of disappointment. Can you imagine what Jesus' followers were feeling after the events of Good Friday? They'd had so much excitement about Jesus, even just the week before. They'd come into Jerusalem, like Freddie spoke about last week, and Jesus was riding on the donkey, and people are singing, and they're celebrating. They're super pumped. Everyone's, like, praising Jesus. It's like to heal her. It's, like, awesome. It's, it's amazing. But then all of a sudden, everyone's sort of getting angry at Jesus, and people are accusing him of stuff, and then... This is one of his best friends has betrayed him, and then he's arrested, and then there's all these false charges. All his friends leave him, and eventually he's like mocked. They they make a mockery of his claim to be king. They put a crown of thorns on his head, and he goes to a cross. And the people that were so excited about him, all of a sudden, are afraid and confused and incredibly disappointed. Just imagine what they would have felt like on that that time, the Saturday, just sitting around fully confused. But on the Sunday, the women decide to go and look and see what happened. This is what it says in Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, the Sabbath is Saturday at dawn. So it's like, imagine today, Sunday, like early in the morning at dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So there's this deep disappointment. They're, they're probably crying. They're probably really upset. They're going to the tomb just to, just to have a look at Jesus' body to like prepare it to, to, be, to be buried. And, or to, like this, they're doing some things with spices and stuff like that. But when they get there, there was a violent earthquake, a huge earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, this angel rolled back the stone and sat on it. Imagine they're going to this tomb and all of a sudden just everything starts shaking. There's this angel that's just coming down out of the sky and it pushes the stone away. And it says his appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. And there's guards there guarding the tomb. And they freak out. 
It says they were so afraid they shook and became like dead men. Imagine they're disappointed, expecting just the tomb and a body, and then these crazy things happen. The angel then starts talking to them. and says, do not be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. They, they go and show the tomb, and there's no body there. He was there, and now he's gone. The angel says, go quickly, tell the disciples, tell Jesus' followers. He is risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you, he's not here. If you go this way, you're going to see him alive. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid. They're freaking out. They've seen an angel, an earthquake. There's all this crazy stuff, and they've been disappointed, and all of a sudden everything's changed so quickly. But they're also filled with joy. They ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. They're running, and then actually they actually see Jesus alive. And he says, hey, <laughs> is basically what that means. Greetings, hello. They came to him. They clasped his feet. They grabbed him. And we see when Jesus rose again, it's not like he's just a spirit. It's not like he's, he's like not a physical being. He actually rises from the dead. He, he, he's, he's, a, he's physically risen. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. We see, firstly, the resurrection means that the king is alive. They were so disappointed, so confused, because Jesus was this king. He was going to make everything right. He was going to rescue them. He was going to fix everything. And then it all went bad. Super confused, disappointed. But now everything has changed. The king is alive, which actually means that his death wasn't a tragedy, but a victory. Jesus had gone to the cross, and it looked like everything had gone bad. It looked like he'd said all these awesome things about his kingdom and about what God is like and about a life of love. It looked like that, but then on the cross, it looks like actually the reality of the world caught up with him and actually, ultimately, evil is going to win. And ultimately, if you live a life of love and generosity, life's just going to bite you and it's going to fail. That's what it looks like. But the reality is, Jesus was bringing in his kingdom through the power of love through offering himself, through taking on the evil of the world, through letting it do its worst to him and him bearing it and dying. And the fact that he's risen shows that it worked, that actually that power defeated the power of death. And actually what Jesus said about himself was true. Imagine, I don't know if you've had it before, maybe, maybe when, when you've known something is true, but nobody believes you. And you tell all your friends, and you, you, this is some fact, like the only example I can think of, we watched this movie recently called Shazam, and it's about this kid who turns into a superhero, and he's got another kid uh, who's a friend with him, and he's in high school, and this other kid who's his friend is like gets bullied and picked on stacks, and, but he's friends with a superhero, and one day he tells all the like, bullies that like, he's friends with Shazam, the superhero, and he's going to show him, he's going to come, and they're going to meet him, and the kids, no one believes him, and the day comes and he doesn't show up and the kids beat him up and they, they bully him and, and it's this huge letdown. But then at the end of the movie, he shows up and actually it shows that actually that kid was telling the truth. He's vindicated. 
He wasn't lying. Actually, he was true. And the same is true for Jesus. He's, he's come as the king, and now it looks like on the cross that this was actually fake, that actually Jesus has died. He claimed to be a king, but actually he wasn't. We know that kings don't get crucified. If he had power, he would come down from the cross. It looks like it's all been a failure. But the resurrection is God coming and saying, yes, he's true. This is my son. He's alive and I was at work in his death to rescue the world. One author puts it like this. If he really was the Messiah and has now been raised from the dead, his death itself turns out not to have been simply a tragic and ghastly end, but God's strange means of dealing with sin in the world. The resurrection shows that God was dealing with sin. God was at work in the cross, which means he's alive. His death wasn't a tragedy, but a victory, which means for us that Jesus has defeated death, that we can have forgiveness of sin. He's made a way to live in his kingdom and to live forever. We can receive forgiveness. We can know his love and his grace. We have victory in him. So this shifts massively, right? They're super disappointed, confused. And all of a sudden, Jesus is alive never to die again. Jesus has the victory over his enemies forever. And it's even better than they thought. It's amazing. That Matthew keeps going and he shows that actually there's people though that don't like this. There's people that are not happy about this news. It says this, while the women were on their way to, to tell the disciples, some of the guards, the guys who saw this stuff happening, went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. The chief priests are the ones who crucified Jesus. Imagine that, the guards are going and saying, hey, we just saw like the stones rolled away and the angels came and there was an earthquake. Imagine what the chief priests are thinking. But when they heard this, they met with the elders and they devised a plan. And they decided to give the soldiers a large sum of money. And they said, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. So the chief priests don't like this idea that Jesus is alive and they don't believe that Jesus is alive. They think, no, this, this can't be. We know that people don't rise from the dead. We know that this Jesus, he was just a pretender. He's, he's dead. He's gone. This is a sham. What's really happened is the disciples have come and like stolen the body. And we're going we're gonna to make sure these guards don't go confusing people by saying that some angel came and so forth. So they pay them to make up this story that actually the disciples stole the body, which is why um, there's, no t- there's no body in the tomb. But the reality is that these people, these chief priests don't want to believe Jesus because to believe that Jesus rose from the dead is to believe that everything has changed. If this report gets to the governor, he says, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money. They did what they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So this story has gone on that actually, no, no, the disciples just stole the body. But that's because... They didn't want to accept the fact that everything has changed. That Jesus is alive, which means the chief priests were wrong. They said that Jesus is a pretender, that he's not the king. They were wrong. And the fact that he's alive means they have to let go of that. They have to come and trust and follow Jesus. They were not interested in that. So they decided to, well, let's work out a way to explain this away so we don't have to change, so we don't have to adapt. And this is the thing, that the resurrection of Jesus, we cannot take it and just sort of fit it into how we think about the world just naturally. 
maybe even today, that sort of a common belief is, no, we know from science that people don't rise from the dead. So these people said that Jesus rose from the dead, but actually something else must have happened. They must have hallucinated. It must be like a twin brother. It must be like an alien. Like anything else except that actually it happened. Because if it happened, everything has changed. We have to let go and come into a whole new way of seeing the world. This means something new has happened, which won't fit into any existing way of seeing the world. Like imagine that. Like, like everybody who's lived in history has died. Jesus has died and is alive again. Not like resuscitated, like he's come back and died again. Alive never to die again. Alive forever. This has never happened before. It's something completely new that redefines everything, that we shape our life now around this. This is how one guy, Leslie Newbigin, says, God acted in a way that, if believed, must henceforth determine all our ways of thinking. If Jesus is really alive, then that's like the most important thing that has happened in history, and he is the truth, and therefore what he says goes. He knows how the world is. He knows what is real and what is not. So we trust and follow him. He's the center point of our worldview. It cannot fit into existing ways of understanding the world without fundamentally changing them. He requires people to actually let go and let, like, redefine everything around him. But often, the reason that people don't believe Jesus rose from the dead is not because there's not evidence for it, not because there's not really good reasons to believe it, but often because to believe it means to let go of everything and to center it now around him. We cannot just be like, yeah, I know Jesus rose from the dead. Like, that's, that's great. That's just sort of one of my beliefs. Like, no, if, if this actually happened, then that's the center. Then he has to become the center that he's alive. We trust and follow him. That said, though, like I just said then, there is really good reason and evidence to believe that this really happened. That this, we're not just talking about like, like a, a made-up story. We're not just talking about, yeah, Jesus just lives in our hearts. But that there's an actual event when he rose from the dead. There's this, this guy, um, Gary Habermas, who, who sort of teaches people and, and leads people to really realize that Christianity is actually true. It's not, it's not that we just believe this. It's that we believe it's true. And, and he uses sources, historical sources, that you don't have to believe the Bible's God's word to accept these things, just based on historical sources, historical facts that most scholars, even non-Christian scholars, agree on. There's five historical facts. This is what he has come up with. The first is that most people, basically all scholars, believe Jesus is a real person, that he really died by crucifixion, and that he was really buried in a tomb. That is like a historical thing that happened. As well, that the tomb was empty. And he said not all scholars believe that. This, he said like probably 75%. Some people would argue against it. But there's good reason to believe that's a historical fact. Even the fact that the, the, the alternate story that the Jews made up is that the disciples stole the body means that they concede that the tomb was empty. Like the t if they, they wouldn't say that the disciples t stole the body if the body was in the tomb. They would just say, go look in the tomb. The body's there. Uh, so it's like there's a, this good like, evidence that the tomb was actually empty. Historically, we can see that the disciples, Jesus' followers, believed that Jesus physically appeared to them. 
they, they believed that he was physically alive. Particularly the fact that they didn't expect him to be crucified. And then after that, they had all this hope and joy. They were incredibly disappointed. Then so much hope and joy and confidence that he was alive. So much so that they were willing to die for it. And there was no benefit for them. The benefit would be to not believe that he was alive. To believe that he was alive means there's a new king. And if they're following a new king, they're probably going to die. So the only reason to proclaim there's a new king if you really, truly believe that he's alive. And and last two facts are, there's this guy named Saul who persecuted the church, hated Christians, thought they were false, and he met Jesus alive. And his life was radically transformed. And he actually wrote most of the New Testament, and particularly in Acts, whenever he tells his story, his story is, I persecuted the church, and then Jesus appeared to me. And Jesus commissioned me to go and teach people about him. That it's because he saw Jesus alive. That's what changed his life. And as well, James is Jesus' brother. He lived his life with Jesus. And James didn't believe. When Jesus is going and spreading the message about the kingdom, James didn't think he was true. I don't know what he thought. Maybe he's crazy or something. But after Jesus was alive and appeared to James... He believed, and he became one of the leaders of the church. So there's two people historically that did not believe and were even against the the claims that Jesus was making, who claimed to see him alive and change. So these five historical facts, again, you don't have to believe that the Bible is God's word to to believe these facts. And, And most people, even who are not Christians, will say, yeah, actually, they're historical facts. And the evidence points very strongly to the belief that the reason why all these things happened is because Jesus actually rose from the dead. That is the thing that makes the most sense of the historical data. But to believe that means everything has to change and be shifted. And often people don't want that to happen. So what happens is we explain these facts away, trying to fit them into an existing worldview, where we say, no, the disciples hallucinated. They, they so wanted Jesus to be alive, so they hallucinated. But again, well, the tomb's empty, so that doesn't make sense. These guys who were against Jesus have believed, so that doesn't make sense. And he appeared to multiple people. Multiple people hallucinating does not make any sense. It's not a very good explanation. It's just kind of grasping for whatever will keep us from having to shift our whole worldview into him. There's some crazy things that people come up with to say, well, well, no, there must have been something else. There's some other reason why this happened, but it can't be that Jesus rose from the dead. But the actual evidence points to the fact that he did. And if he did, then this changes everything. Something new has happened. That actually this, God, this is God's new creation work. And Jesus is alive. And actually now we trust and follow him at the center point of our life and our world view. So then Matthew keeps going and he's, and he's told this story about the, 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 these women who would have been so disappointed, who are now so excited and afraid but excited because Jesus is alive. These people who don't want this message to get out because they don't want everything to change and have to accept Jesus and the new thing that he's doing. And lastly, he comes and he, there's this last little bit in Matthew that's like packed full. It's such an important passage. He says this. They've told Jesus wants to meet his disciples. The 11 disciples, his followers, went to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, 
they worshipped him. So again, they saw him alive and they worshipped him. They, they bowed down before him. They, they worshipped him as their Lord, as their God. And it's interesting, it says some doubted. This is, this is not like some just didn't believe or refused to believe. This is more this idea of like they hesitated. And, and we don't know exactly why. Maybe it's that they're just like, this is crazy. Like, that you, you know, when you feel so disappointed and confused, and then all of a sudden, you, this is even better than you first expected. It's like you might hesitate. You might be like, I don't know if I can really believe this. It's almost too good to be true. Or maybe they hesitated because they're like, can we actually worship him? Like he's a man. And I don't know if I should worship him. But, but then they did. Many were worshipping him. And then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is an amazing thing that Jesus says. Way back in the story, in the Gospel of Matthew, right at the start when Jesus is just starting, just before he starts telling people about the kingdom of God, he has this intense experience where he's in the wilderness in a desert and he's fasting and Satan, the, the evil one, the enemy, like the bad guy, right? Like he's, he's the one who's, who's kind of responsible for the evil in the world. He's at work in the world. He has power in the world. And he comes to Jesus and he tries to tempt Jesus a few ways. But one way that he tries to tempt Jesus is he says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. In other words, Satan says to Jesus, I will give you authority over the kingdoms of the world. I'll let you be in charge on one condition, that you bow down and worship me. This is God's enemy trying to tempt Jesus to take authority by worshipping Satan. And Jesus flat out denies this. He says, get away from me. I worship the Lord God alone. Then Jesus lives his life and he announces the kingdom. And he tells about God and who he is. And he talks about defeating evil with love and good. And then he demonstrates it on the cross. And on the cross, he defeats Satan and the power of evil. And then is risen from the dead and now he has authority over all the kingdoms of the world, not by bowing down to evil, but by defeating evil through the cross. He, 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 Satan's temptation was to sort of get it on a shortcut without the cross, but it was, it was a trick. But Jesus denied that and lived and went to the cross and suffered, and in doing so, has, there's a Colossians passage, he says he's disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he's made a public spectacle of them. He's defeated the evil one, and now Jesus is in charge. Jesus actually rules the world now, is what he's saying. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, is what he says. He has taken the victory over evil. And then he goes on and says, because of that, we are to do something. His followers are to do something. Because he is now in charge, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples is like learners and followers of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is in charge. And because of that, he gives his followers a job to do. And the job is to spread his kingdom 
And this good news message that he's defeated evil, that he's alive, to spread it to the world, to all nations, to all people. Because you might say, well, if Jesus is in charge, it doesn't really look like it because there's still evil and problems in the world. Well, he's in charge and one day he will fully come back and deal with it fully. But now he works through his people to spread his authority, to call people to follow him and to live in his kingdom and overcome evil with love and good. So Jesus is in charge, and now he's working through his church, which he's been doing for, for thousands of years, which is the reason why we are here, because they followed this. They went and announced him and shared his good news. And there's three things that Jesus said for them to do, which is still the job that we have to do. It's to make disciples of all nations. Disciple is this idea of a learner or an apprentice. Jesus says, go and call people to become learners who follow me as well. They've been following Jesus he says, go and get other people to follow me like you have. Make disciples. This involves going and telling people the good news, that Jesus is the true king, that he's alive, he's Lord. He's defeated evil, there's forgiveness of sins, there's eternal life, so we follow and trust Jesus. He calls them to baptize. And this is back, back in, the, in the Old um, Testament, the Old Covenant, the sign of being in God's family was circumcision. And now this shifts, and now the sign of being in God's family is baptism. They were baptized. And this is this idea of being identified with Jesus in his death and identified with Jesus in his resurrection. And we take on a new name. We're in a new family and we take on a new name. And it's the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we're baptized into a life with God, a life in connection to the Father, a life following the Son, empowered by the Spirit. We live in this like Trinity life like Jesus did. We're called to baptize, call people into that. And he says, go and teach. Teach people to obey everything that I've commanded. This is the idea. We, we enter his kingdom. We become his followers. And then he says, now live it out. Live in this kingdom of love and justice and goodness. Live in this upside down way and follow me. He calls us to do that and to teach others to do that. Because he's in charge. Because he's the true king. Because this is how life is meant to be, like we talked about in the way. This is the way of life, the narrow way of Jesus. So the resurrection means the king is alive. They were disappointed. It looked bad, but now it's better than it could ever, we could ever imagine. Jesus, who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, is alive now, today. Everything has changed we, we, we let go of the, the ways that we might try to fit him into our worldview and we now redefine everything around him because something new has happened and we trust and follow him. This is to be like the foundation of our lives. Jesus is alive. That's the, that's the, that's the catch cry of our lives. We trust and follow him. And lastly, because of that, because he's in charge, we have a job to do that's being done and we're to continue to do it. So what I want to do as, to, to kind of finish is think based on these things, these realities, how can we kind of posture ourselves to live? How, how do we kind of think? What, what, what do we do? How do we live this out? Because the tendency we have probably is to go by the way things look. And, and the way things look is probably not very good. Like we look at the world and like we said, it doesn't really look like Jesus is in charge. It looks like there's all sorts of other people in charge and doing all sorts of things that, that don't seem good at all. And we kind of think that we've been overwhelmed with the world. Well, maybe even you look at the church 
and maybe not, not not necessarily saying our church, but maybe just the church in general, we sort of think, actually, things kind of don't look too good in some ways. There's, there's, we've got a big job, and it's going to be tough, and, and maybe we kind of feel a bit hopeless even. And then maybe if we're honest, we kind of maybe even look at our own lives, and we think, well, actually, it doesn't look too good either. I've got a lot of stuff going on that's really tough, and actually... I don't seem to know this power of Jesus and things are really difficult. And, and maybe if we just go by what we look at, it's easy to be defeated. It's easy to think that there's no hope. It's easy to feel alone. And it's easy to sort of take on that posture. But the thing to do is that we're called to not to live by what things look like or what things seem, but actually to live by faith, which means we trust and believe Jesus and the reality that actually he's alive, actually everything's changed, actually we have a job to do because he's in charge. And we actually walk and live from a place of faith, which actually looks like living with victory. Because the reality is, maybe things don't look good, but the reality is, Jesus has the victory now. The reality is, we have the victory now. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The, the belief is actually we have victory now and then we walk and live and follow him. It's not that we have to get our act together. We have to work really hard and then maybe we'll have victory. It's no, the reality is by faith we have victory and therefore we can stand against sin. Therefore we can stand in confidence. Therefore we can stand in boldness because the reality is Jesus is alive and we have the victory the reality, we look around, we sort of think the church, we've got a big thing to face, but the reality is Jesus is in charge and we have the victory and we operate from a place of victory, which means that actually the battle is already won. We're fighting a battle that has been won. It's not a battle of, I don't know if it's going to go good or if it's going to go bad. It's Jesus has won, he has the victory, and now we go forward in victory. So it's not a, it's not a posture that we live with of defeat, but a posture of of victory because Jesus is alive. He's defeated evil. He's at the right hand of God. And we believe that by faith and then work it out in our lives. And maybe, so maybe there's even an issue in your life now. Maybe it's, maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's just, a, maybe it's an emotion. Maybe it's a difficulty. The thing that we do is we recognize and look to Him and recognize actually the reality is we have been made one with him. We've died to sin. We're alive to God. We've been forgiven. We are made holy. We trust in him. He's our father. He loves us. And from that place, we live and follow him. It's, it starts with victory. And then we work it out in our lives. Next, we might sort of think, well, we, we want to do things to serve Jesus. But we might think, well, what kind of impact are we going to have? And it's interesting that just after talking about victory, Paul in this passage talks about lasting significance. That because Jesus is alive, because of the resurrection, our lives and the things we do for Jesus have lasting eternal significance. Because he's alive. This is what Paul says. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Be confident. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He's saying you can be completely wholehearted in serving Jesus because you know that nothing that you do for him will ever be lost. That's the promise. Every little thing, 
Whether people see it or not, whether it seems to make a difference or not, God will take and it will last forever as it goes towards his kingdom work. He says, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is how one author puts it. He says, it's a matter of the greatest encouragement to Christian workers, most of whom are away from the public eye, unsung heroes and heroines getting on faithfully and quietly with their God-given tasks. That's lots of people here just serving Jesus in your job, in your family, at healer on the weekend, at church, at youth group, and, and maybe tough stuff that's just hard. You're just slogging away. And he says that what they do in the Lord, what you do in the Lord during this present time, will last, will matter, and will stand for all time. Whether people see it or not, whether it's in secret or whether it's in public, if it's for the Lord, it has lasting, eternal significance. It's not like we just sort of live our lives and, and we just do all this stuff and then we die and it's meaningless. It's that actually we have a life and we have a king and as we work and serve him, it will last forever, which gives life huge amount of meaning, huge amount of purpose. Whether, whether it's big things, whether it's small things, if it's for the Lord, it's not in vain. So we have lasting significance. And lastly, right at this last promise, when Jesus has says, I'm in charge, I have authority. And, and he said, we have a job to do. The promise that he ends with is that he is with us forever. So when we live, we don't live life, especially in our service to the Lord, but in any way. We don't live life alone, isolated, cut off. But because of the resurrection, we live life with him, with the king, with Jesus who walked the earth who defeated evil, who went to the cross as his throne, who's at the right hand of the Father, he says, surely I am with you always. It's like, I'm, he's like, I'm telling you the truth. Surely I am. Jesus is with you always. He's with his disciples, but he's, he's, he's going to ascend to heaven. But he says, I am with you always, every day, all the time. I don't leave to the very end of of the age. So our posture is not a posture of Jesus was here and he's gone. God is far away and not interested. It's not a posture of we just have to figure it out and the burdens on ourselves. It's a posture of life with him. He is present. He, he is close. He is near. And we walk in his resurrection power, in his strength, in his life. Again, by faith, because he made that promise. We, we trust that and we live in that. And maybe tonight you, you, you're feeling alone. You're feeling that you're thinking about life and, and things ahead and maybe there's a sense of hopelessness or isolation. And Jesus' promise is that because he's alive, he is with us by the power of the Spirit. And we believe that by faith we trust him and rest in him. That, that it's not that we have to get things together, we have to work it up to get him to be there. It's the reality is he is here and we acknowledge it. And we enter into it. And we, we, we trust in that reality that's there. Victory, lasting significance, and with him. So to summarize, the resurrection means the king is alive, which means everything has changed, which means we have a job to do. And we do this job from a place of victory, knowing we have lasting significance, and not alone, but with him, which means that we can have faith to trust and believe him, we have great hope 
that Jesus has done it, that this is not like a question of maybe he's going to come again, maybe things will get better. It's that he has the victory. This is what's happening. His kingdom will come. We just get on board with it. We have a strong and confident hope in him. It's not that we're unsure of our future, but now we are sure. We have confidence. And therefore, we can live with love like he did. Because there's this, uh, this amazing passage in, uh, in Isaiah 50 that, that talks about Jesus just, when he's on the cross, he's, he's offering his back to those who beat him. There's a crazy passage about people, people plucking out his beard and, and him, him offering his life. And it, and it says that he did that because he knew that God would vindicate him. He knew that God would rescue him. He had no doubt about that. He knew that actually God is with him and will rescue him and will deliver him and show him to be true in the end. Therefore, he could offer himself in love. And the same way, if we know that actually death has been defeated, the enemy has been defeated, actually nothing can touch us, actually nothing can hurt us, and if it does, God will vindicate us and will show us to be true in the end, then we can actually live a life of love where we actually can lay ourselves down no matter what people do to us because they actually can't touch the one thing that matters. actually can't change the reality of what Jesus has done. Therefore, we can live in love. And again, that's a high call <laughs> that we won't, can't just go ahead and do it tomorrow. But, but that's what's possible because of the resurrection, because he's alive, because it's changed, because we have victory and lasting significance in him. So we're going to respond today um, and have communion like, like we normally do. And I just feel like, I, I suppose, that the, the, the key in that is hope. And in the same sense, the disciples were disappointed, confused, not sure what the future's going to be. But when they realized that he was alive, it changed everything. Now they have hope, and they have confidence, and nothing can stand against them. That hope is so important, that picture of a future. And maybe tonight... You, you've been carrying disappointment, um, maybe defeat, maybe a lack of faith, maybe an uncertainty about your future and what that will look like. And I just, I'm going to pray and just encourage you as you take communion to, to ask God and let God restore hope, restore a picture of a future with Him, a confidence that he's done it, that we have the victory, that your life is significant, that he's with you, that he won't leave you, and therefore we can stand and go forward in boldness. So I'm just going to pray that God just, just really touches hearts tonight to restore hope, especially where there's disappointment. So, um, yeah, maybe we'll play some music. Let me pray. Uh, maybe, can we stand? We'll stand together. And then we'll take communion. And we just, when you're ready, you can come forward and take a cracker. Um, and we just uh, Jesus' body that he's given for us, and we dip it in the juice, symbolizing his blood. And as we eat it, we, we recognize we're taking his life, his resurrection power. We remember that we are one with him, that he is true, he is Lord. And we just, we just encourage you to be sensitive to his presence and just to, to posture your heart open to God um, in this time, open to what he might want to say open to how he might want to touch, and particularly if there's pain and disappointment, maybe an openness to him meeting you in that place and restoring hope. So I'm going to pray, and then let's, let's come when you're ready, and, and we'll sing some more. So Jesus, we just ask, God, that you would increase our faith, that, that these are not just words or ideas, 
um, or stories, but that this is the truth. God, give us grace and your spirit to believe. Would you increase our faith? And Father, we really pray tonight for an increase in hope. Um, God, particularly where there's disappointment. God, would you bring your healing touch just the same way you flip things for the, the, the women at the tomb and the disciples. God, when things had gone bad, you flipped it to make it better than ever because you're true. God, would you touch us? Would you just restore hope and strength, God, and make us a people who can go forward and do your work and announce your kingdom. So, yeah, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're present. Thank you, Jesus, that you're present. I just invite you to have your way tonight and just to move in our midst.